Hi, I'm Sam Wood, and you're listening to Uncommon. This podcast is brought to you by Neural Media. Are you an entrepreneur or marketer who needs help making podcasts, video, or animation? Perhaps you don't have time to manage a freelancer or the budget to deal with an agency. Well, Neural Media can help you with simple and affordable content creation, saving you time and money by taking away the pain of producing that content. To learn more, head to neural.com slash media. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E.com slash media. Play around with our pricing or request a callback directly. Listeners to the show receive a special discount by using the promo code UNCOMMON. Welcome to another episode of Uncommon. My name's Jordan Michaelides and I'm your host. In this episode, I have for you Sam Wood. Woody, as he's commonly known, is the founder of 28 by Sam Wood, the Woodshed and the original Gecko Sports. He's the third Bachelor of Australia series hearing in 2015, meeting his now wife, Snajana, and of course, building a family with Eve and Little Willow. Uh, What I respect the most about Sam is his humble attitude that was forged in the decade before The Bachelor even took place and which has been implied in his life to this day, which is his hard work ethic combined with an appreciation for time with family, which is something as a man that I can certainly look up to. In this episode, we covered a lot, including growing up in Tassie, hard work and the value of money, family and principles, life post-Bachelor, 28 by Sam Wood and The Woodshed amongst many other points there, including learning from Snajana as well. If you like the episode, do leave us a rating on your podcast app. Shout out to our recent reviews from mswill24, Texanon and Matthew Sean Winter. It goes a long way. So thank you guys so much for those reviews. If you want to share with your friends, just take a screenshot, post on your Instagram story, tag us at uncommon underscore podcast. To watch the full episode, search Uncommon Podcast on YouTube and don't forget to like and subscribe. Show notes and all previous guests are just at neural.com slash podcast, N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E dot com slash podcast. Thanks so much for listening, guys, our regulars and newbies. I hope you'll enjoy this brilliant conversation with Sam Woody Wood. Woody. Woody. That's what they call me. That's what they call you. We're live. Uh, some nice little icebreakers to start. Okay. True, true or false questions. Sure. Um, <laughs> Candace was very, very, very helpful with this. Right. Um, now, first one. Is it true you won an award at IKEA in 2008 for the fastest flat pack construction? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, I think Candace is being quite facetious <laughs> with that, true or false. I am not known for my construction skills, that is for sure. Okay. Um, is it true that you wished to be a hockey roo growing up? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no, the hockey roos are the female hockey team. I, was so gonna I say. probably would have been a kookaburra. But uh, <laughs> oh, look, I did play hockey at school, and all of my footy playing mates have a fair bit of fun with that. That's yeah, sure. and you barry for Hawthorne, right? I'm a Mad Hawks fan, yes. Okay. Um, is Marty Fox the best realtor in Melbourne? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a Marty question. <laughs> Uh, look, I think if you ask him, he'd say yes. Um, oh, look, he's making some serious waves and you've got to hand it to him, that's for sure. Yeah. He's very, very good at what he does. Yeah, he really is. Um, 
Last one for you. Is it true that every time before you met Snej that you came out of the bathroom, your hair would be wet? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> not really, because we, we met under fairly uh, strange circumstances on a TV show. I think it sounds like there's got Paul written all over it. <laughs> I think he thinks, I think my hair looks good wet. Okay. And perhaps when FaceTiming her bit. or something, maybe I... I'd, ca- I'd conveniently just stepped out of the shower when we were FaceTiming as I was still trying to swoon her or something. Maybe that's where he's heading, but yeah. that does sound like something wanky I'd probably would have done at some stage. Apparently, you used to put water on his hands and run them through his hair with his head on and angle looking at himself in the mirror. That's that's all I've got. And a lull at the end of that. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that's... I think that's a stitch bit, a bit of A bit of, uh, of mayo put on that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, Look, it was really interesting going back and doing my research on you. I think the the obvious thing is, um, you know, your time, different stages of your life. And I think a key element of that is the time in Tassie. I know you're yeah. a family mind, man and you'd love to still get back to Tasmania. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you spoke about in other interviews about your dad, his hospitality background and sort of, I, I was curious as to what you thought you were going to be when you were a kid. Uh, look, I, I think the challenge for me was I really didn't know. Mm. Um, I, I remember there was sort of this, uh, I, I guess, fork in the road moment in my teens, late teens. I, I did a lot of work for Dad. I remember, I remember I got home from work one uh, from school one day, and I must have been fourteen, and. I uh, I asked Dad for pocket money. I remember saying, oh, you know, my friend so-and-so gets $50 a week pocket money, which was a lot of money back then. It would have been 1994. And, okay, uh, significant. Yeah, significant amount of money. Uh, you know, he was. I was obviously picking my friend that got the most amount of pocket money to make my case as strong as possible. <laughs> and I remember Dad grabbed me by the back of the neck, not aggressively, but he was a pretty hard man, my dad, and threw me in the back of his car and drove me down to a friend of his who had a pub big Kiwi bloke called Brent, big beard, he would have been 130 kilos, and he said, Burge, this guy needs a job. <laughs> and um, and Brent said, oh, I'm a bit busy at the moment, Andrew, tell him to come in and see me the next day. Um, and he sort of looked me up and down, and he was giving me the once over, and so I went back the next day and I'd put, I'd put a resume together <laughs> and uh, he went, what's that bloody bullshit? You know, if I need more toilet paper, I'll ask for it. He goes, can you wash dishes? And sure enough, that was sort of my first job and I was a, I was a, a dish pig as it was so eloquently put. But uh, for him for the next four years while I was, in, you know, doing years nine to 12 at school and I loved every second of it. And mm-hmm. I mean, the, the message there is that's just who my dad is. He didn't want to give me the easy way. I always thought, well, I often thought growing up how unfair it was, how hard done by I was, how hard he was. And I absolutely thank him for it every day now because there is no way I would have most of the things I have now if it wasn't for that toughness and that perspective that he taught me in my younger years. Yeah, I think it's a similar thing that my dad gave me. It's not it's not so much toughness, it's just a, a dose of reality, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally. I mean, you need yeah. to understand the value of money. And, the, you know, and it's funny, I'm now going through it with Evie, my little 14-year-old, you know. 
private school life and all this kind of stuff and you got to make sure that they keep perspective. I mean, they have this crazy thing on Snapchat which just absolutely blows my mind where you can – I don't do Snapchat, so I'm a bit unfamiliar with it, but she can see where all of her friends are at any given time and I don't mean – the country, I mean, the actual, you know, home address, if you want to zoom in that far, I mean, they can choose whether that's exposed or not, but she knows where all the friends are on holidays. Oh, wow. So, you know, it's a five degree day in Melbourne. Oh, look at my friends who are in Hawaii and Greek islands and all this kind of stuff. And you need to say, look, you've got to, you've got to get to have a bit of perspective. We are so fortunate and such lucky people. Yeah. There are so many people out there less fortunate, less fortunate than us. Let's not get caught up with the 1% of 1% that happened to be in Europe or Hawaii or something like that. We have an amazing life and we need to appreciate that. And Sneesh and I are really big on making sure we drill that home because neither of us came from a lot. You know, we weren't hard done by, but we had to appreciate the value of money and, um, you know, work from work, work up, work up. I remember, you know, when I was 18, I had. Centrelink payments coming in, zero money, wasn't sure where, you know, my rent was going to come from. And, you know, I really had to sort of hustle, you mm. know, and it, was, it wasn't until I really became a personal trainer and I first started making some half-decent money for the first time in my life that it all kind of clicked. You said in, I can't remember what the interview was. It was, it was with a woman about, I feel like it was training kids. Yeah, right. But- uh, yeah, there was something there where you spoke about how basically life does change when you have kids. Just on that yeah, point about yeah. applying it to you, you know, to Evie as well. Yeah, um, uh, applying lessons to her, and I think it's so interesting that you would. It's clear in the last few years that perspective about family mm. has changed you as an individual. Like yeah, you went it, from yeah. worrying about other other people and what they think to just what your kids think about you so like i'm curious then if if that is in your mind when you become a parent and it's saying that you know lauren and i may have over the next few years is you know how how do you principally apply it like how do you how do you make sure that they've got that perspective uh yeah so for me i think the context of how i answered that question you're referring to would have been in two ways the first is what we're talking about with eve and that is now having a understanding all these years later about why my dad was the way that he was yeah. and you know almost as everyone says i can't believe i've turned into my parents but it's, it's that true it, it is it's, it's true it and you know i have i've even said i've said to my dad i don't let these things go by without acknowledging them i've called my dad and i've said i now realize the challenges that you faced the you know how hard we made it for you and i now have those challenges myself and I have such a different appreciation of it and it wasn't an apology but I think that acknowledgement you know went a long way and my dad appreciated it but so so it was twofold so that I with Evie I've been thrown in the deep end there because I went from not having any kids to having a 10 year old Mm. and Evie's now 14 you know so she was nearly 11 and you know three and a half years later here we are and she's now a teenager and um, turning into a young woman. So you don't really have a uh, an apprenticeship, I guess. You really have to kind of – I mean, I've relied on Snajana a lot, who's an incredible mum, but, you know, you've got to get up to speed really, really fast and, and pick that up. And then with little Willow coming along and another baby due in, I think, you know, two, two weeks from Monday, <laughs> um, 
that's given me a complete different perspective on life and what's really important in life because I've been a bit of a workaholic and highly ambitious and I definitely think part of that's been good because it's kept me driven and kept me accountable and made sure I haven't really uh, sort of deviated from my goals too much and all that kind of stuff. But then when you have kids, you very quickly realise, and this is from Evie and Willow, they've both taught me this, just what's really important in life and that these material things and the money and the success and all this other stuff really just pales into insignificance. And I know it's a cliche, but I don't think I got that until I really got that. You know, yeah. I'd always listen to people say that. I'd always listen to the, to the, you know, Richard Bransons and these guys say, look, when you don't chase the money, the money will come. And when you do, and you go, oh, it's easy for you to say, Richard, with all your billions of dollars and all this, you know, <laughs> you'd be a bit cynical. And then what, it, you have this light bulb, lightning bolt moment that it's like, you know what, that actually is true. And mm. you need, you almost need something in your life that you, that you love so much more that it just changes your perspective. And because I was single and didn't have kids, it was work, 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 work. And in an unhealthy way, I definitely don't think I had a really well-rounded perspective, particularly mm. compared to how I do now. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. That would have happened very, very quickly as well. Yeah, you would have gone from yeah. from that to okay. Now I have this partner. Yeah. We're engaged. Yeah, we're getting engaged. Yeah, and uh, a ten year old on the way. I guess. Yeah. How, how long was that time between you guys leaving the bachelor and them moving essentially from Perth to to Melbourne? Uh, so it was about a year. It was. It was four months of cloak and dagger not being able to tell anyone who won the show because there's that delay between filming and when it goes to air. That was really challenging. Yeah. They were flying Snezh and I to Sydney on strange flight patterns and driving us off to these, you know, obscure Airbnbs and there were car swaps in underground car parks in case the paparazzi were following us and like it was like a Jason Bourne film. And we'd spend 36 hours with each other and then they'd fly us back. You know, we couldn't have made it more challenging. The guy from Melbourne with his business based in Melbourne falls in love with the girl from Perth with a daughter. (laughs) Like we really, uh, you know, within Australia, it's probably as you know geographically tough as it could have been. And so we did that for four months. Then everyone knew once the finale had gone to air that we were together. So then we spent lots of time, either me flying to Perth or... Snezh or Snezh Andy flying to Melbourne and um, then we got engaged but we decided upon getting engaged that it was really really important that we didn't rush the move for Evie Okay. and so we asked her when she wanted to move and she said at the end of I think by the time all this had been decided she just started her first semester of year five and she said at the semester changeover and she I mean her attitude has been brilliant at nothing short of amazing just mm. yep I, Melbourne seems fun and I'm up for the adventure and uh, let's do it mum you know like it's been a crazy adventure so far why stop now like she's got a really really good attitude to life and um, so the girls moved over to live in Melbourne uh, halfway through that year and Evie started to change schools and um, we bought a little house and we all moved in together and it was kind of, you know, there's no warm up. It was literally me living by myself one day and the three of us living together and soon four of us living together I know. Uh, very quickly. Bang, bang, bang. Yep. Now, I, I want to jump on some things that would have built you as an individual before that point in time. I think looking back... 
based on past interviews, you came over like a lot of locals in Tassie. So a lot of Lauren's family on her mum's side are in Tassie. All oh, right, yeah. They're, they're from Yorkshire, but they all immigrated to Tassie for some <laughs> reason. I don't know why, but maybe the weather's similar. Yeah, yeah, probably. So I'm guessing you sort of came over here. You were like, look, Melbourne's the obvious choice for someone who lives on the mainland. I want to do something. And like in her case, a lot of her cousins make it over here to do something with themselves. Yeah, lo- if it's lots not of Tassie people, not everyone, but lots either – Move to the mainland to do university or once you graduate, merely for the fact there's not a huge amount of job opportunities, that's when they will go to, to, and doesn't not necessarily Melbourne. Melbourne's the easy choice probably because it's still the closest. Perth's another one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I I mean, there's a bit of a spread. I mean, a lot of my friends went overseas and did stints over there. Did they? and then or, or either end, end up back in Hobart or a lot of them have settled in Melbourne or Sydney, predominantly Melbourne. So it is kind of interesting. But for me, I wanted to study human movement or exercise science and that wasn't available in, in Hobart. It was in the Launceston University. So for me, it was like, you know what, if I'm going to move to Launceston, I may as well take a real jump in here and go to the mainland. So yeah. I applied to do uni. Um Got accepted to the University of Ballarat, which was my school. My girlfriend from school at the time had moved to Ballarat with her mum because her mum got a job. And so I moved there to live with them and start my uh, human movement degree up in Ballarat. And for a while, you did a, there's a whole bunch of things there. I feel like you mentioned you did psychology law. Yeah, that's what point. I applied to do. So. I was lost. I was the yeah. I was the last person to fill out their work experience forms purely because I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I wasn't a very good academic. In fact, I was terrible. And it was, I don't know, I, I had a real trouble focusing and harnessing my energy, you know, not energy, but my streamlining, I guess. You know, I was... I was you, could, you couldn't, it sort of sounds like you couldn't work out what it was... Not that you were good at, that you really wanted to do, if that makes sense. I feel like that's a common trait amongst people who become... Yeah, I probably wasn't self-aware enough to know what I was good at either, really. I, yeah. I knew what I liked. I liked sport and I loved hanging out with my friends and I liked girls and, you know, but that, I don't know how you then go, the career for me is this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's probably like most teenage boys. So, it was... It was okay. I, I'm a bit lost. I went away to a, uh, America to do a summer camp. That's right. You were coaching. And I was coaching basketball in Wisconsin, all these kids from Chicago. And that's where I I met some people that were coaches and fitness trainers. And I, I discovered this love for coaching and um, even fitness. You know, I was a super skinny kid. I was six foot three, which is the same height I am now. And I was 67 kilos and I'm now six foot three and 97 kilos. So I was 30 kilos lighter, the same height. I was all buck teeth and elbows. It was not a terribly pretty picture. I was a bit of a late bloomer. So uh, for me, it was really finding myself, I guess, from a vacation perspective, from a confidence perspective, from a physical perspective. And, you know, everything's great in retrospect, but it really does feel like... I fumbled my way around for, you know, 12, 15 years before The Bachelor, but that was the perfect thing at the perfect time. Yeah. And for years, I know this is something that Candace spoke about. When you got into PT, you would spend, 
you know, the classic 50 plus hours a week yeah. building your business, saving yeah. up for your own location. I'm, I remember we were saying down in the kitchen before you built the gecko gym yeah. before the woodshed. Yeah, before absolutely. The woodshed yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I was a, a contractor personal trainer at a place called Harper's. So a guy called Craig Harper, when I was in first year of uni, oh, yeah. came up to Ballarat Uni to do a talk to all of the human movement students about his personal training studio, Harper's personal training, the biggest personal training studio in the Southern Hemisphere, 30 trainers, 200 metre running track. Uh, you know, it, it's just, you had to see it to believe it. We all were sort of painting these pictures in our heads as he gave us a really vivid description. And I went up to him at the end of his amazing presentation. He was back then an incredible public speaker in fact he's even better now he's, yeah you know number one in education in podcasts in australia ahead of tony robbins he's he's an amazing guy and i pestered him to do work experience and he was like, oh you're in ballarat and i'm down here and it doesn't really work very well and he was trying to fob me off politely and <laughs> i rang him a week later i said have you had any more thoughts about it he's oh you again oh, you know how's this going to work you're not going to have to drive down from ballarat at 4 a.m every morning to get here for a 6 a.m start and i said well why don't we wait for my university holidays so the next holidays were rolling around in september i called him about a month before he said, oh, you're a persistent little bugger, aren't you? So he caved. He said, all right, if you're here at 5.30 a.m. on Monday morning, the first day of your university holidays, um, he goes, I'm not going to pay you. You've got to do two weeks from 5.30 a.m. till 7.30 p.m. and you might just be cleaning toilets. You know, he was trying to sort of scare me off. It was a bit of an initiation. And uh, so sure enough, I rocked up and I was there and, um, you know, I did bits of everything, kind of shadowed different trainers and went and bought him lunch and, clean toilets and everything in between and at the end of the two weeks on the the friday two two weeks later he called me into his office and he said how have you found it and i said oh mate it's been the best i was i was so passionate i was so excited the only gyms i'd worked in were the ymca in ballarat and the university gym in ballarat and i was sitting there writing programs like this was hollywood to what i was used to <laughs> And he said, we've been really impressed with you. If you'd be prepared to transfer unis to a Melbourne uni, and I can probably help you with that, he said, um, there's a job for you at the start of next year. And so he helped me transfer to ACU, just down the road here. And sure enough, on about the third week of January 2001, I... Um, I started my personal training career at Harper's Personal Training, the biggest personal training studio in the Southern Hemisphere, as he claimed it was, and I, I believe that. It was way back then, it was personal training wasn't as big as it is now, and it was a massive studio. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'd finally found something that just felt so right. You know, I was he, – he, you paid rent. So it wasn't yeah, okay. a, wasn't a split. So the onus is on you to get busy or you, you hung out to dry a little bit. So I think my weekly rent from memory was $300 a week. And you're probably charging back then $50 an appointment maybe. So you've got to get six appointments to break even and anything on top of that is yours outside of your travel costs and marketing costs or whatever it is. And I, he called me into his office uh, at the six-week mark and he said, how are you going? He said, are you, are you breaking even yet? I said, breaking even? I said, I made $2,000 last week. And he said, what? And he didn't believe me. I said, I did. I pulled in $2,300 last week. I made $2,000 profit. And this is the guy who barely had eight bucks before he started working here. And he said, are you serious? I said, yep. 
He said, how? He said, I don't know. All the people I start training are just telling their friends and they're all coming in and now I'm training all of their friends. <laughs> and before, and anyway, he's like, oh, I should have told you your rent was more. But he was so happy for me. He was a great, he's a, he's a great guy. And we're still friends to this day. And he said, he said, I've never seen anything like it. And he said, go, he said, mate, go for it. So within, that was six weeks in, I reckon six months in, I was earning $3,000 a week. Jesus. While starting uni. <laughs> so I was in there at five in the morning and I'd work till 10 and then I'd drive to Collingwood in my crappy little car and I'd drive back at four o'clock and I'd keep training people from four to nine and then Saturdays I'd be booked out from six till two and, you know, I was really having a crack but I was loving it. And as a kid from Tassie with no help from the, your parents, I mean, you need money to survive in a big city like this. And, I, you know, I was going to the footy and going to concerts and I was just absolutely loving it. But the thing I was loving the most was... I really had found – I just loved training people. I loved finding out about what made them tick and, you know, that real psychology side of things. I mean, I don't think it was an accident that perhaps I applied to study psychology because it interests me. It interested me and understanding that the best trainers really do get that it's not about the body. You've got to get the head in the right space and the body will follow. And if you can do that – you can really help people, you know, for the long term. And I think I worked that out pretty quickly with Craig's guidance and that really helped me grow my business pretty fast. And Craig, he, he's a bit of a – he still is to this day a, a god in that industry. Yeah, he really is, yeah. I mean, he's, he opened a personal training studio, to put it in perspective, in 1988 Jesus. in Melbourne. And everyone's like, this guy's nuts. He's going to do his dough and, you know, personal trainings for the Hollywood celebrities and who's going to pay for that. And he proved them all wrong. Yeah, he really is a, a bit of an icon of the industry. He's been on, um, for those listening and watching, he's been on the Daily Talk Show. Um, oh, right. He's, okay. a re- he's been on a few times. He trained, actually, Tommy Jacket, yeah. who's one of the hosts of the Daily Talk Show. I know, Tommy, great guy. Yep. Yeah. So, like, I feel like he's touched on quite a few trainers over the years, you know, no oh, yeah, doubt. Yeah, he definitely leaves a real imprint. I mean... So the, I don't know if we're allowed to fast forward, but if we the, the ironic full circle here is the woodshed, which is now my personal training studio, 18 years later is the exact same building that was Harper's Personal Training, the 1,000-square-metre site on Nepean Highway in Brighton. Craig ended his 30-year lease there about five years ago and I took it over and it's now my business. Now, did he tell you that the lease was ending? No, he didn't. It actually got taken over by someone else in between us and I was really upset because he, 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 no, he wasn't being devious. I I remember this actually. Yeah, someone else, I don't remember what they were called. It was a group fitness space. It was a fitness thing for sure. Yeah, and it didn't do very well for whatever reason and so... Within six months of them taking over a four-year lease or something, there was closed signs on the on the. So I rang the agent, and I said, "Look, what's going on here?" And he said, "Oh, it's been a bit of a balls up, and uh, it doesn't look like that business is going to work." And I said, oh, "I'll take it." I, I was on South Road at the time in a smaller studio and craving more space. Whereabouts on South Road? Uh, just up near Nepean Highway there. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I had Gecko downstairs and I had Pro Health Club, worst name ever, upstairs. <laughs> and so it was the kids could train downstairs and the parents could train upstairs. And that 
evolution from that space was to the woodshed, which is still going strong now on the Pen Highway. Now, Gecko, you mentioned to me that it had been initially a licensing operation, or you would, yeah. you'd looked at sites and then licensing and then franchising. Well, it I, started I, out as one space. It started out as one space, you know. So the, the Gecko story was. Was this Marriage Road, by the way? Yes. Okay. Yes. So Craig, uh, my mentor, would check up on me. How are you going, Sammy? And he knew that I loved working at Harper's, but I had grander ambitions to have my own shop, whether I'd some, an itch that needed to be scratched or something I just needed to prove to myself. Not really sure. But I was a, when you're a subcontractor, you feel like you've got your own business because you pay your own tax and you do all those kind of things, but you don't really, you know, like you... you you're sort of beholden. You're wrapped, yeah. Well, and you're, you know, Craig would h- hide all the scary stuff from you, you know. You have to pay him the same amount of rent each week. You don't have all these other insurance issues and, you know, all that. I mean, you do your own stuff, but the bigger stuff with your overheads, you're not really aware of. So uh, I wanted to go out and at that time at Harper's, I was... I'd. The reason I'd been able to get busier than most trainers was I was training lots of kids. And I remember Tom Burgess was his name, this young boy who may listen to this podcast at some stage. He's probably now a very, very successful 22 or 23-year-old boy. But he came into me. His mum brought him into me and Lynn, lovely lady. She still trains at the woodshed today. <laughs> and she said, oh, I'd love you to do some work with Tom on his running ability and uh, speed and agility and he needs to lose a bit of weight and gain some confidence, all this kind of stuff. You know, said in confidence outside of his earshot. Mm. And so Tom, I started working with Tom and it was like a big brother relationship. You know, my job was to get you to enjoy movement, see some results, but most importantly, have fun. And I uh, very quickly developed um, by accident, really, a, a reputation as the guy that trained kids. Uh-huh. and tennis prodigies that wanted to be the next number one in the world or kids that wanted to be drafted or kids that needed to lose weight or kids that wanted to make the school cross-country team. And before I knew it, I was doing 90 appointments a week and 30 or 40 of them with kids. And kids were being brought out of school at midday, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, instead of doing math, science or English, by <laughs> their parents to see me for an hour. Are you shooting me? Not, not by my design or my insistence. This was, that was parents the demand. saying the benefit... Tom gets for you in an hour far outweighs that extra math lesson or extra. The, they walk out of here taller, beaming. The changes that you have helped my son or daughter make over the last six months, Sam, it's a, it's a no-brainer for us. You know, like they would say, Tom, do you want to keep seeing Sam? I have to keep seeing Sam. And, you know, I was just, I was just friends with them. All. I had this great group of beautiful kids. And so my thought process was I love training kids. I mean, I love training adults as well, but why is there nothing for kids? And is there nothing for kids because it's a stupid business idea or is there nothing for kids because it's, you know, we're ahead of our time or what, you know, what is mm. it? So we, we didn't, we didn't really know, but Craig had faith in me and Craig. So I said to Craig, this is what I want to do. I want to open Australia's first ever kids gym. And he said, all right, well, if you do that, let's do it together because I don't want to lose you. Okay. And I said, oh, no, I kind of want to do it by myself. He said, look, 70, 30. You're 70, I'm 30. I'll help you with a bit of money to get it going and a bit of business guidance because it can be quite scary. And 
So away we went. We hired a 600-square-metre garage on the corner of Marriage Road and Hampton Street in Brighton there. And we got it for cheap rent because it was only available for two and a half years before they were going to tear it down and build apartments, uh-huh. which is, you know, would have been $120,000 a year. I think we got it for 50 or something. And we decked it out with running tracks and basketball hoops and trampolines and little bikes and little rowers and boxing bags. And Australia's first ever kids gym, Gecko Kids Fitness, was born and it went bananas. We had... 400 kids enrolled, we did after school programs, we did birthday parties, we did uh, school incursions, school excursions, we did holiday programs, it was amazing and we did kids from five to teenagers and then Junior Gecko was born, we were doing three to five year old development programs with tunnels and ramps and stairs and I mean I loved kids and I mean, that just, I was, I was even more in love with the kids then. It was just, you know, it was green and purple and orange and I drove a little car that looked like a little ice cream van with gecko plaster all over and all yeah. my mates almost thought I was mad. So I was absolutely mad, but I was so passionate about it that it just, I think that passion kind of brought its success. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was fun times. When you think about that time and, and what you applied into the, the, the 28 by Sam and the, sure. the woodshed and, and whatnot, what stands out as the most intriguing lesson from um, that period? So, the, the, I mean, they're all, such, they're all such different businesses. So, the Gecko was brilliant uh, and I loved every second of it until we tried to expand it. Mm. That's where we that's where we faced challenges, you know. If if I was <clears throat> which I guess when you look at 28 by Sam Wood, that's the difference, you know. 28 allows me to be me still with that crazy passion and enthusiasm um, and drive but through technology, that definitely wasn't around back in 2006, <laughs> I'm able to do it to tens of thousands of people rather than just hundreds of kids. Yeah. So I, it's, a, it's a timing thing. It's a, you know, that, that's, just, uh, that's just, I guess, how it's all kind of transpired 15 years later. But we, we, we tried lots of different ways to expand Gecko over 10 years. I mean, that wasn't a, it wasn't a two-year thing. For the first three years, we had just one. And we had this great reputation as the kids' fitness people, and so we were getting uh, approached by other gyms. How did you do it? How can we do it? So we put a license pack together, which, I mean, the king of licensing in gyms is Les Mills. You know, your pump classes, your circuit classes, all this kind of stuff. So we kind of looked at what they did. Now, theirs is a bit more choreographed to music from a spin class to whatever. For kids, you can't have that same amount of structure because it needs to be this freestyle. Uh, yeah, they need some structure, but kids need to be kids. They need to learn through doing, and they're not going to follow a choreographed class, and we didn't want to be a dance program. So we created little circuits and relay races and functional movement and games, and then a, you know there was a birthday party template and all this kind of stuff, and we licensed it out to existing gyms, and I think we... We had that license in 35 or 40 gyms around Australia. And the same thing, you know, some did really well forever, but the, the challenge was we were, we were pitching it to the gym owner or the, you know, whoever the, the big boss was of a chain or whatever it was, and they saw it as being this great way to fulfil a, a niche, great that we're helping kids get active, great that 
kids have got somewhere to go while their parents work out, whatever it might be. But they didn't have the same passion that I had. So I would go back, I'd, you know, I'd book a flight to Adelaide and I'd go and visit one of the gyms that had a license and six months ago I was there and all the staff were pumped and I did all the training and I'd return back only to find the equipment a bit busted up and shoved in the corner, the programs not being followed terribly diligently and the same trainers that I once met who were awesome no longer worked there and so it had gone to the next guys who just went, oh, you kind of do these kind of things with the kids. Yeah. So... Yeah, it sort of seems like during this period, yeah, what you learned was uh, the biggest thing is timing, but also c- persistence. Like you've just got to keep pushing in yeah. the industry for the thing that will eventually fit you well. Does that make sense? Yeah, yes. It, I mean, look, I, I do believe in that. Um, in principle, I think I think I was probably a bit too stubborn and a bit too determined and I had the blinkers on you know we we then went down a franchising path which was much more successful but we we persisted with the licensing concept for probably four years and that wasn't cheap flights buying bulk equipment packs marketing you know hiring staff so we were any money that this one gecko center was making was nowhere near enough to facilitate the growth or my grand plans of growth so I borrowed money I went into business with someone you know Gecko probably owed me and I don't really speak about this close to a million dollars of debt by the time I eventually sold that business now some people might say you're a fool and you must regret that so much I don't because I absolutely stand by that there is no way 28 would be anywhere near as successful as it has been or the woodshed would be anywhere near as good as it is um, without those lessons that I learnt from Gecko. And, you know, I was blindly passionate and and persistent, as you said, but probably too much. You know, there were probably some really big red flags that I should have seen earlier that I refused to see, you know. I'd, all, I'd be so optimistic and I'd remember meeting my business partner. He was an investor but very hands-on and a brilliant guy and I used to train his son who was an up-and-coming tennis player and that's how we met and he loved what I'd done with Daniel and we'd developed this beautiful friendship and him and his wife are the most lovely people and they said, Sam, if you want to expand this thing, we believe in you, we'll invest. And so I'm not paying the banks back the million dollars. I'm paying him back the million dollars because I'm a man of my word. But um, the banks wouldn't have lent me the money. <laughs> God, <laughs> But um, he, you know, what, what an amazing guy. And, you know, it, it was probably a trap because when you do get the money like that, you don't stop because you're just like another $100,000 and I think we'll be able to do this. And oh, we didn't quite get there, but another $100,000 and I think we'll be able to do this. You know, it was it was pretty pretty slippery slope. But uh, yeah, I definitely learned a lot that has helped me to where I am now. I think if you consider as well, the other key element was, although it was really where you met your partner today yeah. on The Bachelor, yeah. I feel like Going on the Bachelor, because you said it yourself in like a prior interview, you had like 150 followers on Instagram. Yeah. And this Maybe is, not even. Not even. Yeah. yeah. You've, and you've now, you do the rounds of morning TV and media uh, as a personality who has insight on fitness and health. And I think this period of time is where you sort of learnt to build that audience. Uh, wh- what do you think about that? 
Um, yeah, I mean, you mean through The Bachelor? Yeah, through, through oh. doing The Bachelor. The Bachelor was the hardest thing I've ever done and the best thing I've ever done. I learned more about myself in 13 weeks than I perhaps would have in my life. Really? The ability to talk about your feelings, to internalize, to... Um, you know, the confidence and the, it's hard. You know, you are filming for six days a week, 14, 15 hours a day. You lose all your autonomy. You know, it's this, the TV is a pretty crazy world, particularly when you're not, you know, you're not a star. You are a, someone that's been picked, you know, you, you become really well known, but you're not a famous actor that they should be so lucky to have, you know, like even though I was the bachelor, you know, you don't get paid very much and you, you really, you know, they almost want you to break because that'll make great TV. You know, it's kind of like the best TV is romance to the one end of the spectrum or meltdown at the other end of the spectrum. So let's push this guy to the limits and see what comes out. Now for me, the best thing ever was Snezh was on that show and who knows what would have happened if she wasn't, but I fell in love with her. And yeah. I kept, you know, we pinch ourselves. My dad laughs about it. My best <laughs> friends laugh about it. They're like, on what, in, in what world do you go on a show like that and actually out of 20 girls, one of them is that girl that you're meant to be with and three and a half years later you're married and about to have your third child. You I gotta, know, it's crazy. i got to say, in Australia... I don't know if this is a, a cultural thing, but we've had some pretty good hits yeah, in Australia. Like, there's you guys, um, Tim Robards and yeah. his partner. Yeah, Tim and Anna. Tim and Anna. Maddie, Jay and Laura. That's right. Yeah. Like, like where is he? It's so funny. When you do your research, I type in um, <laughs> Sam Wood interview. And, like, of course, you got all these interviews, but the next video afterwards is clearly some recommendation about top 20 U.S. Bachelor, oh, yeah, right. and it's just—it's a debacle in comparison. Yeah, no, I think the—I uh, think the strike rate in America. I think the producer said to me, uh, "It's about one in twenty, and we have three in seven or something." Jesus. So it's—it is—it is crazy. It is. It's, there's got to be something cultural with that. Like either they set it up, the producers, so it's bound to fail, and you yeah, get I more think drama. The, the casting here is a lot more along the lines of we would love this to transpire well. Yeah. Whereas I think the casting in America is, if this is a train wreck with lots of viewers, we have done our job very well. So, uh, you know, it's. It, I think they have slightly different agendas from day one. Um, what's been the most, I was looking back at interviews that you have done. I've got to say the one on Hamish and Andy where Hamish pretended to impersonate <laughs> you it was bloody hilarious. I what, do love him. What's um what has been the most interesting interview you've done thus far? Uh, that's a great question. Look, I've I actually quite like these types because you can talk for longer yeah. and you can go because like, the story has so many layers and my life, as I alluded to before, I really do think all roads had sort of led to that to you know to that to that jump moment of I remember getting told I'd been selected as the bachelor and I didn't even know what it was I had applied because a member of the gym had recommended that I did so that's right. Never Cal- se- Kelly right Kelly that's yeah. right well done <laughs> I'd never seen an episode 
I'd gone through this crazy interview process from Skype interview to phone interviews to Skype interviews to being flown to Sydney in front of a panel with the camera on. And in about three crazy weeks, I'd literally gone from what, whatever, I may as well have a look at this thing to being told I had to pack my life up, move to Sydney, and for the next 16 weeks, you've got to live in Sydney and you're not allowed to tell anyone where you are. And I was like, well, I haven't really thought this through. You know, this is... But I had that moment where I went to myself, and I have said this before, if I didn't do it, I would have wondered what if forever. And I was like, I don't think I can do that. I will... Not knowing what that's going to be. And the season before me was a guy called Blake, and it was yeah. a bit of a disaster. You know, he was, in inverted commas, Australia's most hated man and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, you're kind of on a bit of a hiding to nothing on this thing. I don't know if I want to do it. Maybe maybe it's not what I thought it was going to be, but I'm like, I just have to see and imagine if I hadn't done it. So mm. I, I definitely think all those trials and tribulations and ups and downs in my business life and personal life before that point had led me to get there and it was just meant to be. Now, if we think about Sam Wood and Woodshed, the brand, 28 by Sam Wood, there's a lot, the expanse of this business today is huge. Like, I don't think that people really get a grasp simply because it's just an app. It's sort of like when I I interviewed one of the girls from Kick. Like, it's the same thing. You don't realize how big... They're amazing things, those girls. Yeah. Amazing. Like, how big the audience is that you have and the people that use that on a a weekly basis. Yeah, they don't, typically. And that's, you know, I guess that's because... If you're doing your job well in this space, it's not about you. Mm. You know, you, you don't walk around. I mean, in interviews like this, it's probably more appropriate to talk about it. But I don't do 28 to, you know, have as many members as possible. In fact, I never even call them members. They're 28ers. They're a family. That's what we call them. I do 28 to help as many people as I can, but very few people realise the size you know, every now and then we talk about how many people have helped because it adds credibility. But very few people realise we now have 17 full-time staff, 160,000 people have done the program in mm. three and a half years. Um, you know, it's it's gone crazy. You know, three years ago it was me and two other people and now we've got this full office of content creators and graphic designers and social media experts and a tech team with app developers and web developers and you know all our marketing guys and everything's everything's in house and we you know we're this really tight knit group that of really passionate people our customer service team that we'd ever call them that that's Sam's crew and you know they live and breathe all the success stories that the 28ers are going through and they're there to help them in any which way they can cuz you know, getting in shape is a really, really individual journey. And yes, you can have an app that is super, super intelligent and can provide a customized experience. But the more personalized you can make that with great staff around it, the better the experience is going to be. Mm. What does your day-to-day look like at the moment? Uh, I'm in the office every day. I mean, one of the things that I definitely think separates me from other successful online programs is I'm not just the face of it. I'm not just the the guy who goes and does the photo shoots and ads. I uh, I live and breathe it. You know, we 
absolutely strive to make the program better every single week and there's no one that can give better insight into how that can happen than me so I want to be there mm. and um, so the office is just down the road from my gym and from my house and I go into the office every day with my dog Hendrix my Labrador and he sleeps under my desk and I work with the team creating content doing cooking segments doing fitness segments going home with the video to my house with the videographer and creating new workout content um, interviewing new experts that can perhaps add something an extra layer of um, expertise to the program uh, getting on tv getting on radio sharing stories talking about it you know whatever is the best use of my time for that business that's what i do and i'm really lucky i've got two incredible young guys that help run the woodshed uh brit and jez two brilliant young trainers who um you know, I go in there most days to work out or I work out from home. I kind of combine the two. But they are, but they're, you know, they will email me or ring me if they need anything from me. But they, you know, they do a great job of running that place. And so the office for the 28 by Samwood team, is that at the woodshed? No, no, they're, oh, really? they're separate. So, wow. Yeah, it's just uh, it's three kilometres down the road. But yeah, no, we're just, uh, just down there in Brighton above a great cafe. Jeez. Wow. Because that, that just adds more weight. You don't have, uh, and any other businesses on top of that anymore? No, do you? No, I you don't. had the gecko thing. So gecko, gecko got purchased by an amazing by Kim, an amazing uh, franchisee, and she's uh, carrying the torch beautifully. And I just see it go from strength to strength. Keep a very close eye on it without treading on any toes because it's not mine anymore. But obviously, after ten really, really. Uh, you know, beautiful years. I, I watch it really closely. And, yeah, I just uh, – the woodshed and 28 are my babies. Okay. When it comes to the overarching strategy here, what is – how do you view this thing, this 28 by Soundboard sure, program? Sure. Where, do, where does it go from here? Um, oh, look, I, I honestly feel like we're just scratching the surface. And the reason for that is – people are just becoming a lot more aware of how good online training and nutrition can be. You know, it's kind of this it's this whole Netflix thing. You know, the technology, even when we launched in 2015, was, you know, your streaming speeds of video workouts and all your app tech, you know, it's just changed so much in three short years that... It's like personal training once upon a time. You know, you didn't do a per you didn't see a personal trainer. These days people are like, oh my God, look at the results you can get training at home with your trainer, taking you for a video workout, awesome recipes, real-time support, live workouts. You know, the technology just keeps improving literally month on month, which means your program can get better. But it also people weren't even, you know, people would say to me, quite frequently three years ago oh yeah i've seen your program sam but i live in sydney <laughs> i'm like yeah it's online and they needed it to be explained to them and that wasn't their fault that was just it was a pretty new concept now they get it you know it's like it's oh just you, there you on know, the phone. if you think of the top two or three online fitness programs in the country you think of us and you go you know it's now not what is a fitness program it's what's the right fitness program online for me yeah and that is true i've literally gone through this process yeah. in the last week or so yeah. and and learning more about it. i've gotten you know f i've gotten really into sort of uh for a while i was just doing weights and i just got yep. very very bored with it but i find that what you guys do 
There's another one, Freeletics, but I find... I know Freeletics, yeah. Yeah, but I feel like a lot of that American stuff is... I think the advantage that you guys kick and and maybe Sweat have is the personal element to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've learned through this whole process that, you know, scaling of a, a trainer, yeah. a, a system, has been possible through this mobile app, yeah. you know, or through a mobile app, and you can integrate elements of yourself. So, when people say to you in Sydney, Sam, I really wanted to train with you, it, yeah. it does feel like you are training with you and you're in this little hub. My app has Sam Cam. So, mm. every day I do a real-time video to my 28ers. So, this morning I was walking Hendrix in the park and I sent them a... I was on the listening to SEN on the radio <laughs> and it came up about uh, the stats on childhood inactivity and that these days the average child sits still for 11 hours a day, of which five and a half are a, a per day are on screen time. Now, obviously, with my kids' fitness background, this is something that made my ears prick up. So this morning's video was mums and dads that are on my program, let's drag those averages down starting this weekend. You know, that was this morning's message. But ab- absolutely. I mean, I know what I'm good at, and I know I was a brilliant face-to-face trainer, but I could only see 10 people a day tops, you know, I can now impact these people's lives, get into their homes, get into their lounge rooms in the tens of thousands every morning. You know, it's such a powerful thing. And um, yeah, you know, I look at I look at Kayla and I look at Sweat, uh, Kayla and Kayla and Kick and um, some of the other good ones, and I just think, what a brilliant way to be able to spend your time and help people. And I, I think you know we're all fighting the good fight. Yeah, it's it's definitely you can see that as well. Just I think a lot of the marketing that you guys do, it's and a lot of these other apps do exceptionally well, is the engagement of the community and showing yeah. results, showing the improvement in mindset that people have. I, I've I've liked watching that. I saw that you you just launched in the UK. Yeah, so I mean, being an app, you can kind of flick the switch yeah. to be international anytime that you like. That's a it's not a big thing to do. People kind of make a bit more of a fuss about it than it really is, but. What's having the support there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, 10% of our uh, members-ish, might be a bit less than that, exist outside of Australia. So, you know, and the UK is the biggest market for that. So, um, of course, there are other great guys. There's a guy I love in the UK called Joe Wicks. He's he's Uh, fantastic. And um, we're quite similar in a lot of ways, and I kind of get referred as the Aussie Joe Wicks (laughs) from time to time. But he's an... Awesome, awesome guy, and I just love everything it's about. But some people like training with an Aussie, and you know we have lots of expats that live over there, or you know friends of 28ers. You know we've had some incredible success stories from 28ers that live in the UK. Yeah, it's a, it's it's quite amazing. I, I enjoyed there was a few random mo- sort of mother bloggers, and I just yep. went through and read. You had you guys had like a soft launch or a launch over there. It was just interesting to hear about, and I I can see. The pivot as you've become a family, as you've created a family, how much more family orientated the the app and the program and the business has become. Yeah, I mean, it's always been very very popular with women, late twenties to fifty. Okay. Of course, we have seventeen year olds and we have seventy year olds, but that would be our core demographic. Um, but We've enhanced our pregnancy program, our, pace, our postnatal program, 
made lots more family-friendly recipes. Um, you know, we didn't really decide what, what who we wanted our market to be. Our yeah. market told us. Just that, came to you. know, the, your personality, Sam, your experience, you having a young family, Snezh is a big part of it. Um, you know, you understand what it's like to have a teenager and a toddler. That's kind of unique in itself. Um, and our workouts are 28 minutes and you can do them at home. And a lot of people, unless you are a mum, don't get how damn hard it is to get to the gym when you're a mum. You yeah. know, it's just it's either extra costs, the logistics are a nightmare. You just think to yourself, I just can't even do it. The energy and the you know patience it takes, I'd rather just stay at home. So giving mums or busy people that are spending a lot of time at home the ability to do a workout in less than half an hour from the comfort of your own home in your daggiest tracksuit pants is what gets results because you're consistent. We can all have gym memberships and great intent, but if you get to the gym once a fortnight, you're not going to get very good results. Yeah. it's Not everyone has the lifestyle that gives them the opportunity. No, of course not. To- a, lot of, a lot of trainers don't get that. A lot of yeah. trainers. I mean, the, the thing that I always worry about with with people that either haven't been a trainer or trainers that live in their own little bubble where the biggest issue for their day is where does my next protein shake come from is <laughs> they're not relatable. Yeah. You know, the only person they've ever trained is themselves who's blessed with brilliant genetics or they... Or lots of time. Yeah, or lots of time or lots of money or, you know, whatever it is. Um, yeah, or, or the, you know, or they've never trained anyone in their life and you, you that point I made before about the psychology of getting people into shape, you learn that through experience. It's those 10 uh, overweight men and women that you've, or, you know, 10 or 100. I mean, I've done, uh, you know, I think we worked out the other day, well over 50,000 personal training appointments in my life. So, you know, Jeez. you learn something from every single one of those. So that just gives you an edge. You know, I can, I, I have so much confidence doing live content with my 28ers because they ask me about an injury or a motivational technique or a challenge that they're facing in their life. And if I can't relate to it personally, particularly as a man, I have trained a myriad of people that I've been able to help work through that same challenge. Mm. Speaking of mums and family, yep. um, I've got a touch on Snezh. Yeah, of course. Um, now, whether it's filming Ugg boots or f- taking selfies of her conked out on the couch. Yeah, I know. I'm a what, bit of a bully, Anna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, has, what has got you in the most strife on social media? Well, the most recent one, <laughs> I sometimes I share things. I, I share everything with my 28ers. I you know. know. They are so... They're my family. They're my extended family. And so, and we have a private Facebook community of 40,000 people, of which 92% of those people have been active in some way in the last 28 days. It's the most highly engaged community you've ever seen. And we all support each other. It's just beautiful. And so I share everything with those guys. And so on Wednesday night, I shared a story with them about how I got home on Wednesday and Snezh ran me a bath and I'm like, why are you running me a bath? You've never run me a bath before. And she's like, oh, you just look like you've had a long day. And then she made my favorite meal for dinner and all this kind of stuff. And we were sitting down at dinner and she said, so I might have brushed the car today. And I said, brushed the car? And Eve pipes up and says, crash the car. Mum crashed the car. And, uh, and Snesh says, shh. 
<laughs> she said, oh, you know, I was getting a contraction and this pole jumped out of nowhere. And, I, you know, we all just cracked up. It was so funny how she tried to describe it to me. And it's not – she's fine, which is the most important thing, and there's hardly any damage done. But it's a relatively new car and there's a big scrape down the side. And I think she thought I was going to be bad. So, you know, I shared this – I shared the exact sort of – wording that she used for my 28ers and all these 28ers shared empathy for Snezh about those invisible poles that have jumped out in front of them. We had a good old laugh about it and there must have been some media that are in that have either oh doomed my program. God. And they're not being sneaky. I think I've got a lot of media that do my program. So they've obviously seen it and next thing Snezh is getting a Google alert, Snezh crashes a car or something and this morning on uh, the morning show I was chatting with the guys and uh, Larry and Sally are like, now, Snezh, we hear you've crashed your car. And they're like, this was like caught on the hop. She's like, how do you guys know? So, yes, that's probably the most recent time I've stitched her up. That, that must be a weird thing as well. I was chatting to uh, the girls that run the Shameless podcast mm. about the Daily Mail. Oh, and yes, um, good old friends of Daily Mail. Good old friends of the Daily Mail. I had this weird thing to have. I had a client meeting about 8.30, just down in Richmond at a cafe, we get there and Chris Smith was there, comes right. in with his family. Yep. And uh, the client I was with knows Chris, so they had a chat, we left, and there's like three paparazzi standing at the front and, you know, through for whatever reason, the one, one of the people I was with knew one of the photographers and they're like, what are you doing? And I just think it, it must be such a bizarre... Oh, it really is. It must it? be yeah. really, Especially really weird. Especially when you've gone from such a normal normal life i mean it i mean i still consider myself very normal but mm. you go on this whenever something we had the paparazzi camped outside my gym 15 hours a day when the bachelor was on you know it was madness you know they would be ordering pizzas to their car so that they didn't have to leave because <laughs> heavens forbid they miss me going somewhere i don't know where i was going it was so exciting but it was it was intense camped outside our house following us everywhere weaving in and out of traffic you know, they're dangerous, they're reckless, they're disrespectful. I don't have a lot of time for them, as you can probably tell. But, um, you know, they're selling these photos to whoever's buying them. You know, I remember one of the, one of the guys, you know, they come up to you and they try and offer you uh, money to collaborate with them. Oh, if you tell me who the girl... I remember one of them came up to me and said, if you tell me who won the show and where you guys are going to be so I can get a photo of it, I'll give you a hundred grand. And I was like, well, go away. And they're like, like, but they're shit. like, no, you done it. This is real, mate. This is real. This is real. Don't you want a hundred grand? Don't you want a hundred grand? Like chasing you down the airport, you know, walkway on your way to catching a flight. You're like, oh my God, go away, you pest. But what, it's, uh, yeah, it's full on. What's the weirdest thing you've had? Uh, actually, let me put it this way. Of the percentage of things that get written in these glossy magazines and the Daily Mail, mm. what percentage is true? <laughs> Uh, look, you probably shouldn't tarnish them all with the same brush. Some of them report far more accurately than others. Um, I mean, the annoying thing is they they ask if they can speak to you about something and then they don't even mention that in the story and they just come up with some uh -huh. rubbish headline about something else, yeah. you know. Something, you know, clickbait, controversy, drama, all that crap that, and and there's no truth in that actual part of the story, you know, but you've spoken to someone who seems so nice when you spoke to them for 15 minutes and they come out with a story that's complete rubbish. So that's probably the worst bit. 
you know, I mean, I, I, honestly, sometimes there is 0% truth. You know, yeah. that, that is not that uncommon. Yeah. Back on the point of Shanez, which is what I yes. really wanted to ask. Yes. Um, what have you learned from her about life? Oh, lots. I th- she's the strongest, most resilient person I've ever met. She uh, has taught me a lot about being a good parent. I really, she's kind of my parenting hero in a way. I just, I met Eve on live TV um, and so Snez went on The Bachelor thinking I'd find out that she was a single mum and that would be the deal breaker and she'd be sent home. That's her words, not mine, but, you know, (laughs) fairly harsh. But that's sort of how she thought it would all pan out. And so she'd never been apart from Eve for one night. They'd never spent a night apart in their entire lives. Eve was nearly 10 and Eve's idea was, Mum, you need to go on this show. So she only went on the show because it was Eve's idea. So she went on The Bachelor and they, you're not allowed to call your family or anything. They made a special allowance that she got one phone call to Eve per week whilst on the show. Okay. So she'd make those phone calls. She'd cry her eyes out because she missed a little girl. And the next time they saw each other was on on film with me <laughs> witnessing it. I was crying. They were crying. I'd never even met Eve, but just the bond was so, like, so strong and so obvious and so powerful that I was just crying before I even met her and hugged her. And I was so hopeful that she liked me because I was falling in love, if not had fallen in love with her mum. You know, it was a quite amazing experience. And just seeing... uh, Then when you have kids together, I mean, the, the... understand that well I don't, the respect that you have for single parents yeah and, you know, it's, I mean, it's so hard. like Sneeze and I are exhausted and <laughs> we've got Eve giving us a bit of a hand and one and there's two of us you know to do that by yourself or multiple kids by yourself I just have so much respect for all single parents out there and then when you and you're living with one of them and you keep thinking back to how did you do that when you were by yourself with even or whatever, you know, of course she had help from her family, but you know, not, it's not the same, mm. you know, just absolutely incredible woman. She's just so strong and uh, so resilient and so caring and she looks after me and she's the best mum ever and she's amazing with our business and yeah, just love it a bit. Yeah. You, you both are very, very lucky. It it is like I said the the strike rate for yeah. the bachelor is is what are the exceptional. Chances, hey? Yeah. Um, before we jump into some uh, faster rapid fire questions, oh, look at okay. um, what, what <laughs> I found it very interesting watching you guys when you're in Macedonia. <laughs> My family's from uh, Greece and in okay. Cyprus. Okay. What's uh, what was the most intriguing thing that you saw while you were over there? Oh, the whole thing took me by surprise actually because. I'd become quite close with Snezha's family, but only in Perth. Mm. And even Snezha had spent a fair time, a bit of time in Macedonia. Evie loves it, and Snezha loves going home. And Snezha's parents still have this little house uh, in uh, in Macedonia there. And it's it's they started building it twenty years ago. It's still only three quarters finished. <laughs> it's you know there's doors missing and no security and you know it's the basic of basic and that that was the thing you know i was like i kind of had no idea what we would be going but they lived in this tiny little village 
where you'd walk into town about five kilometres and you'd do your little shopping and, um, you know, everyone lives, you know, all the hustle and bustles around the lake and it was just, you know, no one speaks English. Yeah, not a lick. Yeah, not a lick. It was amazing and it was just... It was so nice to see Evie in that environment. And we had Willow then who was trying to walk. So she must have been, I don't know, nine months old or something. And it was so good for her, you know, like no technology, no nothing, getting up and walking through the cornfields and picking plums off the tree and going for walks with, you know, going for walks with her grandparents and I to pat horses and wild cats and dogs I was crazy but it was I'd never but you know all my traveling and I've done a bit you know has been to Rome and Paris and Barcelona and London and New York you know all these really touristy places Richies. yeah I mean just just touristy you know full of tourists and uh, I'd never really experienced something like that it was really good I really really enjoyed it we spent we spent a week there and then we had our first and only time both of us away from uh, Willow and Evie and we went to went to Greece for a week and yeah it was a really good break it was Snezha's first little break after Willow was born and yeah we looked after her Does Eve speak Macedonian with yeah. her mum? So Eve speaks fluent Macedonian uh-huh. Snezha speaks fluent Macedonian with her mum and her sister and her brother um, Willow knows as much Macedonian as she does English Okay, she wow. will identify as many words in Macedonian. She would speak far more Macedonian than me, wow. and uh, which I love. Yeah. You know, she'll ask for something, and it's often a combo of <laughs> English and <laughs> Maso in the same sentence. Um, and when she goes back to Perth with Snezha's sister and her kids, her little cousins, um, they all sort of speak a bit of both. It's really nice. Yeah, because yeah. that's one thing Lauren and I have discussed when we have kids that – See, her father is German and Polish, and right. they, they speak German. And um, I feel like it's one of those things that the kids generally learn when the mother speaks to them yeah. predominantly because yeah. in those early years, they have that, that stronger connection. Yeah. Whereas, like, my growing up, my dad's Greek, so there was no real emphasis on yeah. Yeah. speaking Greek. I might have gone to Greek school no, for like I th- a year. No, I think you're probably right. I definitely think... You know, I, Snezh, I don't think, did it all even consciously. She just did she it. She just does it, yeah. you know, like it's not time for bath, it's cup, cup, you know. Yeah. So, Willow, cup, cup, you know, <laughs> next thing I'm like, oh, she knows bath, you know, it's so, it's so beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, all right. Short, fast questions. Okay. Um, God, there's so many things here, mate, that I've got. We've jumped all over the place, haven't we? You know what's interesting is uh, looking at most search Google topics on the guest, yeah, right. It's just some Dare weird fucking shit. I mean, it, the obvious ones like bachelor age, wife, daughter, yeah. wiki. Uh, you need to get someone to update your wiki, mate. Do you I? need to get a wiki. <laughs> um, any Noted. 20, Noted. Any, any 28ers listening, you need to go update a wiki. But the the interesting one was 28 by Sam Wood discount code. Oh. Which, which is uh, the the one that were, that stood we out really apart. discount. Yeah, but it was the one that stood out apart from just things about your life, like recipes, program, Ooh. wife, daughter, etc. Anyway, short, fast questions. Okay. What's in the fridge at home? Uh, last night's schnitzel. Okay. Snezh cooked 
great little schnitzels last night, actually. How do you do the schnitzel? Are we talking tomato, ham, cheese? Oh, uh, no, not a parma. Just a... Just a, just a classic. Yeah. Spurgy, the chicken, as Nesh would say. I don't even really know what that means, but she's like, the chicken's nearly spurgy. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Um, best purchase under $200? Ever? Ever. Uh... It's a great question. Probably a cheap flight back to Hobart at some stage to see my dad. <laughs> hey, look, they have them on sale. They do. Regularly. They do. I've if got you, the uh, Corners app. It regularly goes book, on you book ahead, you can get a bargain. Um, all right. Best purchase we've got. What does your morning routine look like? I'm pretty particular. It's uh, an hour playing with Willow and then it's up walk the dog, do my video to my 28ers, grab my coffee, um, come back, play with Willow for another half an hour to give Snezh that vital 30 minutes where she can have a shower and get dressed. Nothing nothing fancy, just otherwise Willow tends to want to get in the shower with her and do all this <laughs> stuff. And, uh, and then off to the 28 office. And what time do you reckon you're heading off to the office? Uh, about 8.30 I leave, yeah. Okay. Uh, evening routine. How do you guys decompress at night? Uh... Oh, I mean, it's, it's kids first, and it's kind of in two. It depends on Evie. Evie. If Evie's got footy training or cheer training or something, we uh, divide and conquer. That's okay. me running her around to her sports and, and Snezh taking care of Willow. Um, but if we're all home, it's, it's kind of a two-phase where Willow, with her new found successful sleep routine, it'll be... Uh, I, I take her for a bath, which I love. We have more animals in the bath than you can imagine. Seven ducks, four turtles. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Boats. It's, and this is in a tiny plastic bath. They're all overflowing everywhere. Um, so, yeah, bath time is daddy time. And then Snezh will help Willow get dressed and she has to have her milk. And then book time is dad time as well and uh we'll alternate who puts it down just so there's kind of like that randomized conditioning there so she doesn't get used to one of us doing it mm. and then it's uh then it's catching up with evie and we all have dinner together as a three because willow kind of has dinner about 5 30 <laughs> six o'clock and um and then i mean evie will go off and do her homework or i'll be chatting with her friends or whatever and snezh and i try and have a bit of time just us for an hour each night at least nice i can see that um changing exponentially in the next two to three weeks oh yes yeah we we keep thinking we've got it so hard and we ain't seen nothing yet it's gonna be interesting um all right last question if you could have a billboard anywhere in australia anywhere at all there's a couple going around at the moment actually yeah (laughs) i'm on the i just drove past one on the way here with my massive melon on it where would it be and what would it say and it can't be advertising a program oh look it'd, it'd be something about family it'd be It'd be either down in Tassie or... Um, I feel yeah, like a, a, go- yeah. a good that's, one... That's a really tough question to answer. I'm, it is. I think Billboard, my mind goes straight into marketing mode. That's <laughs> terrible. That's terrible, isn't it? But oh, something, you know, something about just being a great dad. You know, I mean, yeah. I don't really care where it would be placed, but uh, somewhere where my, hopefully, kids could see it. But, yeah, I mean, that really is my most important job and always will be. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that stage in life. Yeah, it's the best. Yeah. Absolutely. Everyone tells you about it. My, a lot of my mates had kids a few years before I did and would always say, oh, you just don't get it till you get it, but I promise you, mate, da, 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 da. and they knew how much I loved children and uh, oh, yeah, whatever you think it's going to be, just times it by 10, you can't even explain <laughs> it. 
Look, Sam, it's been a pleasure having you in, mate. Absolutely. Thanks, Thanks for coming for having in. Me. Um, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, I'll, my uh, my program is 28bysamwood.com. And uh, if you want to follow me on socials, it's uh, at Sam James Wood. And uh, yeah, hope to hope to meet you soon. All right, thanks, mate. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for making it to the end. Before you run off, subscribe if you enjoyed this episode, or do leave us a rating. For Instagram, go follow us on at uncommon underscore podcast. For YouTube, search uncommon podcast, and don't forget to subscribe if you're watching this video. Also, give us a like or leave a comment on what you thought about the episode. But until next time, thanks so much for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Neural Media. Are you an entrepreneur or marketer who needs help making podcasts, video or animation? Perhaps you don't have time to manage a freelancer or the budget to deal with an agency. Well, Neural Media can help you with simple and affordable content creation, saving you time and money by taking away the pain of producing that content. To learn more, head to neural.com slash media. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E.com slash media. Play around with our pricing or request a callback directly. Listeners to the show receive a special discount by using the promo code UNCOMMON.